Welcome to Financial Foresight. This podcast was made by four fee-only CFP professionals to help consumers understand the financial industry. Let's meet your hosts. They're either naive, they're stupid, or they're lazy. You know, the other thing is, is uh, my ceiling fan just went out in my kitchen today. He is the commander in chief on this video right now. And uh, man, I am feeling controlled and empowered and safe. Don't stop for Dwight's baby. We can edit that out. (laughs) All of the podcast hosts are owners of RIAs registered in their respective home states. All commentary on this podcast represent the opinions of individuals and not their firms. All commentary is financial education, not financial advice. So let's get started. Welcome back. Financial Foresight. We have the whole team together. I'm back. I was gone for a little bit, but uh, happy to have Ian Dwight, Colin, and myself, Isaiah, here today. And we wanted to tackle a topic that is very relevant today, which is thinking about tax time and when to maybe go out and, and seek professional advice versus maybe do the DIY approach using some online tools or technology. And our resident tax expert, I think, would naturally be the best place to start. Dwight, kick us off. Give us some thoughts. What do you think? Oh, man, I thought I thought I wasn't going to go first. But all right, here we are, I guess. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'll fall on this sword if you want me to, Dwight. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, yeah, I mean, so obviously, since I'm a CPA, I do get asked a lot from financial planning clients and even folks that I have on my tax side. And now that taxes have, quote, gotten easier with higher standard deduction and all that, is does it make sense? And so I think there's probably for a lot of people three big areas to really start thinking about using a competent, qualified tax person. One is if you have rentals, rental properties um, are sort of their own sandbox in their own world and taxes get Uh, can get incredibly complex, especially when you're dealing with depreciation. And the minute you bring somebody else into that world, uh, like an investor, things get very, very complex. Um, So I think that is a good start. The other one is if you have a small business, whether you're Schedule C or have an S corporation or something like that, um, it's again, a good idea. Taxes get complex. You need to know the rules are constantly changing. Uh, 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was a huge law that really changed a lot of things. So it would, you know, it's kind of a nice thing to have an accountant or somebody that knows what's going on there. Uh, and then the other one that I tend to see, which is equity comp, uh, is a good idea to have somebody that knows what's going on with that and and how to file that. Um, so those are, I guess, again, those are the three big ones. Um, the other one is once you start getting employees and you've got, again, you know, again, your small business, you've got employees, you've got a lot of stuff going on. You should definitely be working with a tax accountant. They're going to be worth their weight in gold. Um, And then I guess to answer or to go back to, like, if you're looking for one, you know, are some of the online softwares good or do they work? And I'm not going to go out here and endorse any particular one. But yeah, if you're if your tax life is pretty simple, go for it. Um, You know, it's it it does work. They do work. There's plenty of them on different price points. Um, And then the other side, too, is is I'm not a huge fan of the big box stores. A lot of they kind of get this. Uh, and I won't call any of them out, you know who they are. Um, but they get this idea that, Hey, they're really inexpensive or whatever. And that's not always true. Um, so I try to tell people, Hey, look for a local EA or CPA that is going to be around all year. This is what they do. Um, a lot of those big box stores, they're only, you know, going through very short learning programs. Whereas, you know, I have a CPA license. I have 
four years of undergraduate, a master's degree in accounting. I had to go get a state license. Like EAs still have to go through a pretty big, uh, you know, pretty tough two-part exam. So, you know, it it's, can be helpful for people that are actually trying to do this rather than just seems like a good part-time job for right now. So, um, I, and I guess finally, the other one is if you just straight up don't want to deal with thinking about your taxes, then hire somebody. Um, the few hundred dollars that you might pay is again, probably going to be worth it to know that it's, uh, that it's right. Yeah. I would say that my, um, my threshold for clients on whether they should hire somebody comes in with two places. One is, do you have any non-standard W-2 income? So like if you're just W-2 employed, both people in the household or just yourself in the household, you can probably file your own stuff and not make any mistakes because you're going to be taking the standard deduction and all that kind of stuff. But if you get 1099 income or you own your own business or anything like that, at that point, we're outsourcing it. Because even if all they do is save you 100 bucks, um, but they file your return correctly, it's going to save you time anyway. Um, and then the second thing is, like Dwight was saying, if you just don't want to do it, um, frankly, if you're getting paid at a certain threshold and paying $500 to save two, three hours of your life is worth it to you, then do it. I think a lot of people don't outsource things that they should be outsourcing in order to enjoy their life more. So if you, you know, bring up the standard example of like having somebody clean your house or cook your meals for you, when you start making really good money, like a tax preparer falls into that category. They're relatively inexpensive for the couple hours of time that it's going to take you and they take one thing off your plate that you no longer have to worry about and that's a great resource if all you're trying to do is spend more time with your family or more time traveling or whatever then let's pay to not have to worry about those things yep totally agree i think it's actually kind of funny if you think about it and just step back like taxes are something that we all have to do it's kind of sad that it's become so complicated that you actually have to hire someone. It's it's almost like a tax in itself to try to file your own taxes, uh, which is unfortunate. But I think you guys nailed it. Uh, and I kind of tell my clients the same thing. It's like if it's really simple, and, and actually I found most of my clients do their own taxes. And, uh, and you know, they've asked if I'm willing to take that on or, or help look over it. And um, just the last three years now, I've been using TurboTax myself, and obviously I have maybe a little more or uh, quite a bit more experience than just the average Joe, but it, I was baffled by how easy it was just to walk through those programs. So, you know, if I would really encourage people to, to check it out, especially like that you guys already said, if you're W-2, um, just log in there download the software sometimes you can even do it for free if it's just a simple w2 or they like think TurboTax has one for like 39.99 or something like that uh just yeah it, it really really doesn't have to be overly complex and it's kind of awesome when when you start learning about you know how that how that process actually works and how making contributions to your traditional versus roth accounts impact your taxes um, if you're not working with a professional, it could really make you a little bit more knowledgeable in that space because, you know, that's that's something that whether you like it or not, you're dealing with it. It's kind of like, your, you know, health and wealth, like you're going to participate in either of those, whether you're trying to or not. 
um, you know, opting out is still a decision or choosing to uh, not put time and effort into it is still a decision. But yep, if, if and you guys already said, it, if you have really complex stuff, it's probably going to be you're, you're going to save money by hiring uh, someone to do it, even if it's a thousand dollars or 500 bucks or whatever the case. Uh, if you have moving parts all over the place, definitely get some help. The stuff gets complicated and you might miss something. It's just not worth it. Yeah, I don't have anything to add. I think you guys did a great job. At the end of the day, if if you're a business owner and there's someone local that works in that industry that knows what you do really well, their expertise can certainly be beneficial, not only from just like filing taxes, but helping with tax planning and projections and like thinking through strategically how to help your business grow. Like I think that's all really, really important too, to think about outside of just hey, can you just file my taxes, get this one thing done? There's there's a lot more to it than that from a, a planning perspective too that some really good CPA firms I can do I think maybe one, so, one last thing about. I would add too is that um, there is a, such a big difference between past-looking uh, tax repairs and future-looking tax repairs. Um, it, you know, if you have a, a guy that you're, or a guy or girl, whoever you're hiring, just to uh, basically plug in the box, fill it in, and you're just another line item, you know, on the shelf here. Uh, that's, you're, you're probably not getting the value that you maybe could if you're working with someone who actually you know, like, and trust, understands your situation, understands your goals. And that's kind of where the financial planning aspect folds into tax prep. So if you can get your planner and your tax repair in the same room, that can be a really dangerous combo because I know for a lot of my clients, uh, we talk about trying to lower their uh, lifetime tax bill versus just their 2019 or their 2020 tax bill. And uh, maybe you'll you know take it on the chin today because you're choosing to file or to contribute to Roth 401ks versus you know the deductible traditional accounts. But when you fast forward into time and you find that, oh my gosh, when I'm 72 now, because of the new uh, Secure Act, and I'm taking required minimum distributions. Oh my gosh, my income is or my tax bill is actually going to be higher than what it is today. Like, thank goodness I had someone thinking about that while I was in my 40s and 50s, than just kind of hanging around and, and then just you know waiting till those RMDs add up or Roth conversions. Or, you know, there's a lot of different strategies to lower the lifetime tax bill. Yeah. I agree with that. With anything, having the future in mind while you're making decisions makes you able to make those decisions better. So I think that a good CPA will always be at least aware that the decision will impact you long term and have a conversation with you about that. So I wanted to give a couple of quick, um, I guess, resources if you need them, depending on your particular situation. So the IRS does have a free tax return preparation for qualifying tax preparers. It's VITA, V-I-T-A, the Volunteer Income Tax um, Assistance Program, and it helps people that generally make $56,000 or less, persons with disabilities, limited English speaking. 
Um, so you can go on irs.gov and, and find that. Um, and the other one too is AARP does quite a bit. So you can usually check out your local library. They, uh, or at least out here in Colorado, that's where I see them at, is that they're providing some return preparation for free to help, especially seniors, um, to make sure that they're getting all the credits and deductions that they're eligible for. Because again, that can be a little bit more complex. So uh, it's always, you know, you can always give them a call and see if you qualify um, and, you know, get your get your stuff paid or done for free. So that's a whole other soapbox I'd love to get on in terms of why it's so complex here. And it has a lot to do with some very big names, but um, check that out. Uh, IRS is free tax return preparation as well as AARP. So thanks Dwight. That's some great resources. And yeah, I think next would be tweet of the week, which Ian can uh, throw the names in the the random number generator and spit out whoever's going this week. So uh, I was chosen this week as the tweet of the week. So I have one from uh, Dan Routh at Dan Routh CFP on Twitter. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. The tweet, w- the tweet was hashtag FinTwit. What is the best analogy you've heard or used when describing fiduciary versus suitability? The, uh, the easy reply came from Bill Winterberg who is all over the place. He's a fintech consultant, and we hear from him all the time. But he posted, suitability means selling a suit that fits you. Fiduciary means it actually has to look good on you. So the idea is that if the suit fits, perfect. We can get, we can get this product out the door, whereas in fiduciary work, it actually has to look good. And then I'll throw in my response just because, you know, I'm self-centered like that, and I'll say that I said uh, I use D&D analogies because uh, D&D has an alignment system. So those of you who have played any tabletop games have heard of lawful neutral, um, lawful good, lawful evil, chaotic neutral, chaotic good, chaotic evil. Basically what I said is that lawful good is fiduciary. It's somebody who not only acts according to the law but acts with the best intentions versus lawful neutral is suitability which is somebody who just acts according to the law and makes it fit whatever they need. I was going to go try to find that tweet because I really liked your response. I'd heard the suit one before. Kits has posted it quite a bit. Um, But Ian, I really liked yours a lot. Oh, well, thank you. Here, I'll link the tweet in the chat for you. But um, And then the funny part is Dan Yerger replied to that tweet with... uh, Lawful evil is insurance suitability. <laughs> People who are just slinging insurance policies. <laughs> basically, if you're but alive. <laughs> basically, if you're alive and if it's legal, we're going to put you in this thing today. Yep. <laughs> so anyway, the, the, that was the tweet. Uh, do you guys have any other interesting analogies about fiduciary versus suitability or any quick ways to explain it? Because uh, this is always something that we have conversations with with our clients because they're like, well, what does being a fiduciary actually mean? So most financial planners have a way that they explain I, I always like the dietitian one. I don't know. That, that to me just made a lot of sense. Like if you go to a butcher shop and all they sell is meat and you say, hey, you know, I want to get a, a meal. What do you recommend? You're going to get meat. Like, that's that's what you're going to get. <laughs> but isn't that what Joe Rogan's doing right now? All meat and it's good for you? So maybe the butcher's... Oh, uh, shit. Yeah, you're right. right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. The carnivore diet. <laughs> All right. We'll have to cut that out. <laughs> oh, man. That one backfired. Um, so, yeah. Versus if you go to a dietitian, 
they don't sell any products. They don't sell the meat. They don't sell the veggies. They're going to say, you know what, you should probably have a, a well-balanced diet. Actually, let's change the analogy because the carnivore diet is supposedly healthy. You are a uh, uh, Skittles uh, pusher. Like You sell Skittles, the candy. That's all you sell. So when you go there, I, what are you going to I've got get? an easier one for okay, you, Okay, help me Let's out. Let's use the Girl Scouts. There you, you go. You go up to a Girl Scout, and you're like, I want something to eat. You're going to get some cookies. You're going to get cookies. Right? Okay, thank you. That's way better. You're not getting popcorn? No, nope, yeah. you're getting cookies. No. Exactly. Okay. No, it's cookie season, man. They're yeah, slinging those cookies. <laughs> we actually just bought some cookies from... Uh, of course you yeah. did. Everybody does. Yep. Those cookies are delicious. So that's my favorite. Any other... Uh, <clears throat> Any other analogies, guys? My go-to is usually just trying to relate it to, uh, you know, whatever they do for a living. So for me, one easy one in like the dental world is you can go like old school 2D x-rays or you can use like CAD cam or like 3D. So you get a lot more depth, a lot more information around their patient and like what they can do to treat. When they have that 3D x-ray, you can like do all these different things and show and explain versus 2D. It's like, well, I think this looks like this might be something where you don't have as much detail. So that's the way that I always explained it is like, hey, they, you can take an x-ray and you think that this is probably what's best, but maybe not sure where you can get more detail and get more in depth with something that's going to give you more um, information and more well-rounded uh, thoughts to make that treatment planning better. So that's always the way that I've tried to explain it is, hey, what do they do for a living? And then kind of go that route. Yeah, I like that. All right, well, let's move on to our last subject, which is uh, just for our own entertainment today and maybe you on the podcast, uh, some tax horror stories. So this one, maybe we will continue to kick it off with Dwight since he has the most, but we'll ask him to keep it to just one or two quick stories this time because I'm sure he's got hours worth of content. He's going to pull out like his burn book from like, from, like <laughs> Mean Girls. Like. Exactly. Uh... Yeah, if we meet in person, buy me a beer and I'll tell you some good ones. Now, there's there's some good and some not good ones. I think, you know, again, for the purpose of this podcast, the ones that I tend to see that are mis- that tend to be the biggest mistakes, I guess, is when people are DIYing, it really has a lot to do with rental properties, uh, especially if somebody has a primary residence that they've eventually um, converted, said, hey, I'm going to, you know, take my old house. This was a lot like 2008, for example, when the market wasn't good, but you're, I still see it now where somebody says, well, I bought my house. I'm going to live in it for a few years and my intention is to rent it out. And so they move and, you know, there's usually issues with like depreciation, not being taken on the correct amount uh, or useful lives being incorrect. Um, or another one and some of this is a little bit less tax related, but just how like homestead property tax exemption is there or sometimes goes away. And I've seen quite a few people get issues with that where the county or city municipality would come back and be like, hey, it's not your primary residence anymore. So uh, you owe us three times as much property tax because the exemption's gone. Um, just things like that or, you know, and again, all just making sure you have the proper insurance. Again, that's not a tax issue. But rentals just for me tend to be kind of a sticky picture um, where it seemed like it was a really good idea. And when it's actually done properly and not just run through uh, a tax software, because uh, remember, tax software is just going to say, yep, this looks good. You gave me a number and we did a calculation. It doesn't like audit your calculation. Um, so just, uh, 
things like that. Um, you know, capital gain tax uh, exemption is a um, Colin does a does a good question. Yeah, do you that. lose that? I, I kind of forgot we've talked about that. Before. Yeah, it, there's a. Um, it depends on how long you've owned it, how long you live there, when you sell it. Um, it gets it gets pretty complex. I think it's like section 121 or something. So if that's you, uh, that's a really good time to talk to a tax person to see what you're gonna do. Um, or 1031 exchanges, like the, the like kind swaps, those rules have changed and gotten very much more complex. But anyway, the short answer is, is that I just kind of, I, those are the ones that I just kind of tend to see is just something goes wrong with the, uh, with the rentals, um, where, you know, oh, I heard something or, um, renting to family members gets kind of funky. Um, so it's just, again, it's one of those situations where you might want to pay somebody to make sure it's right. Um, cause like I said, I've seen situations where the r- newly calculated numbers suddenly make this thing, not cash flow and not look as good. Um, and it's like, well, okay, you got to go back and amend the last three years and pay tax and penalties. And, you know, or that's my recommendation. You can decide not to do it. Sign here. Like, so anyway, that, that is, that is going to be the short, that's, you know, plenty of other stories, but that's the one that I would just say is, is just really around rentals. Uh, I have a very simple, simple thing that seems to catch people a lot. Um, I've dealt with a lot of clients who have gone from being full-time employees to contracting. Mm. Um, and they've come see me like after their first year of contracting and then they're surprised that they owe taxes because they're so used to being W-2 and having things withheld. So if you switch from W-2 to 1099 income, keep in mind that you have to pay your own taxes and self-employment tax. Yeah, because people don't think about that. So they're like, oh, I earned $100,000 last year, which is what I earned at my W-2 job. So I guess I'm probably going to come out neutral, right? Like, I'm not going to get a refund, but I'm not going to owe anything. Then it's like, no, you didn't withhold anything throughout the year. So now you owe thirty grand. Congrats. Did you save it? <laughs> <laughs> and you're still going to owe it, and the IRS doesn't really care. So yeah, open exactly. Up a yeah, that's yeah. a slam dunk. You don't want to get caught on the treadmill of having to save the money for last year's tax payments by April. Yeah. Uh, so don't don't catch yourself in that save revenue whenever you're on a contracting or self-employment basis. You got to save some revenue for the tax time. Yeah, that's a slam dunk example. Yep. So I have two that are kind of popular. I always hear people and it just irks me. Uh is when they're like, oh, I gave to charity or I did this. It's like, oh, it's fine. It's deductible. And it's like less than 10% of Americans are itemizing their deductions. So more than likely your your, your donation or whatever you did at the golf outing or whatever. Like I I always hear it at golf outings. That's kind of like the, (laughs) where I I always hear it's like, oh, you know, it's 150 bucks for a round, but yeah, I'm going to deduct it on your taxes. And it's like, Dude, you are not going to be deducting this on your taxes. I know you won't. Um, and it's just like such a common misconception. So uh, that one's probably the the most common one that I hear is that, oh, just deduct it, whether it's charity or, you know, anything. Uh, you know, if you own the home and, you know, have a Schedule E and you're, it's like, oh, I'm going to put in a new blah, 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 a uh, new washing machine. It's like, nope, you're not going to deduct that. That's actually... Uh, that doesn't qualify as a repair. Uh, that's a capital right. expense. Um, so that's that's probably the most common. And then number two, some low-hanging fruit. Uh, if we have any uh, older clients on the on the call today or listening to the podcast, I mean, 
um, is if you are charitably inclined and you're making donations to the church or whatever the case, and you have required minimum distributions, you can just simply direct your required minimum distributions to a charity of your choice. And then instead of paying the taxes, you actually basically just get like the full, like basically 100% deduction on the tax. So if you are making donations to charities uh, and you have required minimum distributions, um, I found a couple low-hanging fruit there of, of just redirecting those RMDs directly to the charity so that you never take the income. It doesn't go, it increase your taxes, um, doesn't increase your taxable income, sometimes reduces your social security taxability. It can be a, a pretty good win-win situation. Yeah, that's a great example. All great examples, actually. And it leaves me with one where no one's going to be surprised where I'm going to take this because it's going to go investing related. I was just waiting for someone else to take Isaiah? it. Isaiah? But yours are so much better. They were, they were all so much better because this... This is one that is not as maybe attractive, but everyone talks about like, hey, this, you know, so-and-so, it returns X and this or that. But I've seen in the past two um, like investment reviews, it, just looking at, you know, tax inefficient mutual funds, so actively traded mutual funds. One was in a trust account, which automatically moves into a super high tax bracket. And the other just being paying taxes when there's no real reason. And for one, it was, I mean, they're going to pay $1,600 in tax, like taxes that are super avoidable. So if you think about if you're investing outside of the traditional retirement accounts in something that's a brokerage account or taxable, own ETFs. You don't have to own just a plain vanilla index. There's plenty of other good ETFs that are out there. But on average, ETFs are going to give you about three quarters of 1% in a benefit just from the tax savings over time. And there's a number of different studies that show that compounding piece. It's not that you're never going to pay taxes on it. It's just you can control when you're going to pay taxes on it instead of getting capital gains distributions each year. And the sucky thing is you could buy a mutual fund. It could lose money and you could still owe taxes at the end of the year. People don't really understand that and the way the structures are. But at the end of the day, just make sure when you're investing outside of a retirement account, it's not necessarily what you showing your statement it's what you're going to actually keep and what you're paying taxes on and that net net is really really important so fees are important taxes are important um, that's the one that i would go with it's always what you keep man it's always what you keep the size of the paycheck doesn't matter it's how much you save ah good job that was, that was a really good answer yeah, I because like <laughs> i one. think i've run into I, I think i've run into a lot of people recently who are interested in like um more income-based strategies because they want to see the payouts mm -hmm. and you sit there and you go okay well like maybe you can get reduced tax rates on some of this income because it's coming from investments but like if you're going to recognize a ton of capital gains or a ton of dividend distributions in a given year then that just hurts your net return. I don't know why you're doing that as opposed to just appreciating it and holding it. Tax tail, uh, wagging the dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the uh, tax, you know, tax exempt bonds is another good example. Like, okay, what's your actual tax rate? So, you know, do you live in California? Do you live in New York? Do you live in Texas, Illinois? No? Okay, well then let's make sure you're actually getting a better tax efficient yield on some of this. So depending on your tax bracket, it, it may not make a ton of sense either. So, yeah. One last thing I've seen too is um, variable annuities and retirement accounts. So again, not going to say that annuities are the worst thing in the world, but one of the benefits of annuities is the fact that you can have that tax deferral. If you're putting it in a tax deferred account, like a retirement account, you really 
to me, that's a huge red flag that someone, A, doesn't know what they're doing, so you should fire them for that. Or B, they knew what they were doing and they are trying to just make a lot from you as, as that end client. So don't put annuities in retirement accounts, please, please, please. You don't get double tax um, benefits for that? No, there's no double tax benefits. Um, someone probably got a nice, sweet, fat payday and that's why it was there. But I just had that conversation with someone the other day. It's like, hey, you have $300,000 of annuities in your retirement accounts. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Would that fall more into like the naive, stupid, or lazy category? <laughs> I haven't heard that in a while. <laughs> uh, likely, likely in this one would be the stupid category. But it could also no be naive. Dude. Not, not on the client's perspective. Could just be Correct. lawful no. evil, guys. No, no, no. no. We're, yeah, we're talking about the advisor. On the advisor. Yeah, we're talking about the client. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, if you, if you don't follow the salesperson. On, on, on my <laughs> my dunking on other people, then <laughs> it's probably hard to know what that means. But yeah, it's not it's not the client. He didn't understand. He was trying to under, He was asking really good questions and was like, oh. At the end of it, when he finally got it, it was real quiet. And he was kind of running through in his mind. And I was like, just something that I saw. I felt like you should know. And this wasn't someone that... It's likely going to be a client. It was something else that I saw and a completely different conversation. So I just want to let them be aware that it didn't really make sense. So. One thing that I thought of, Isaiah, when you mentioned the uh, investing in outside of um, non-retirement accounts was that I find it all the time, this is almost like a behavioral thing, is that people are like, I'm maxing my 401k, so I can't save anymore. Or like that's, that's all the <laughs> retirement savings I can do. Um, yeah. So that's that's almost, it's not really a tax thing, but it, it's almost like a tax on your... It's an IRS limit. Right, so it's an IRS, kind of yeah, exactly. But, you know, just to be clear, you can save unlimited amounts to a non-retirement or a taxable account, however you want to call it, individual account, joint account, um, anything outside of 401ks, IRAs, all that fun stuff. And you can still be really, really darn tax efficient to Isaiah's point, if you have low turnover ETFs and are not buying and selling all the time, and you can get really similar results, uh, you know, over long periods of time, kicking that uh, capital gains tax down the road year after year, and, and even doing a little tax loss harvesting if you wanted to mm-hmm. uh, put a cherry on top. Well, especially too, a lot of that, like you said, even some of that stuff that comes out might be beneficial. Uh, qualified either qualified dividends which have lower capital gains rate or capital gains which you have more control over and are more tax efficient anyway so um, yeah I, I do think like yes keeping your taxes low is good for long-term wealth building but you know I think what we were kind of talking about at the beginning of this conversation was under I think you mentioned it Colin was just kind of understanding what does your tax bill look like over your lifetime and making sure that you're making good decisions um, rather than just being, you know, hyper focused on this tax year one way or the other. So very good point about that. You can save more and invest, invest more and do it without getting penalized too much for it. Yep. Awesome convo. I think that's a great place to stop. I keep thinking of other examples and we're going to keep running if we keep talking about you guys were worried you guys were worried about me shut it down (laughs) (laughs) shut it down no but thanks everyone for listening we'll be back again we'll have more conversations like this feel free to to hit us up on social medias if you have questions concerns thoughts on topics you'd like to hear thanks so much
Thanks so much for listening. We hope we were able to make you laugh and allow you to learn something. For all inquiries and questions, please email financialforesight at gmail.com. If you're on Twitter, feel free to give us a follow and ask a question there as well. Remember the podcast is for general information and entertainment purposes only, and you should not consider what we've talked about investment or tax advice. Please consult your professional team before implementing anything we talked about. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and maybe leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. And thank you so much for listening. We'll be talking again soon.